All right, so today we are continuing in Nehemiah. Yep, we're moving on back to the Old Testament. Don't worry. When I asked Lauren if she would read today, she told me, she typed yes, because I texted her, and then she just told me today, she was like, oh, I said yes and then realized we're in Nehemiah. I do not want to read all of those things. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to read all the names and the things and the whatevers we do, but I told her I still would have picked her if that was because she would have been great at it. Confident reading, right? That's all it takes. Just act like you know what you're saying. All right. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day and this beautiful promise that uh, things are changing, that things are growing, things are sprouting up. A new season is upon us, and we can move forward with you in grace and goodness. I'm so thankful for the worship that we had together, and I pray that you would just speak to us very clearly today, God, that your spirit would continue to dwell among us, and that we would hear exactly what you want us to hear today. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so, so far in this series, uh, we have been hearing about Nehemiah's story, which makes sense. We're literally in the book called His Name. And we've been looking at ourselves through the lens of his life, which is a really helpful way to read scripture. You know, sometimes we can read and kind of detach ourselves from what we, what we are hearing or what we are listening to or what we are reading. And it's good for us to put ourselves in the position of the lives of people we see and kind of like ask, okay, God, what are you saying to me here? What's going on? What is, what, how might this reflect on my life? What do you want me to learn from this or glean from this? I mean, that's a really good way to read scripture. But we want to make sure, too, that we use lots of different um, uh, strategies to read scripture. This is one of them. We can put ourselves in the we might call it the hero's, you know, tale and just say, this is, this is my life. This is how that looks like for me. And that's really good. And we've talked about what our callings could look like and our purpose and how God might be calling us forward um, to step into what he has for us. And that's really great. Um, but another way that we want to make sure we don't forget about is, or another thing we want to make sure we don't forget about is that the Bible isn't always about us, but it is always for us. You may have heard that before, and I just really agree. It's always something for us. And so always putting ourselves in the main character position is not going to give us the fullness of what we could get from the word, okay? So we're actually going to switch the spotlight a little bit today off of Nehemiah, and we are going to look at the people who actually did the work of rebuilding the wall, who actually put their hands to the task to restore and repair the walls of Jerusalem. Um, so we are going to be looking at chapter 3 in Nehemiah, and I'm just going to read the first two verses for us, because this gives us a picture of what the entire chapter is about. So it says, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. So the rest of the chapter is pretty much like this, okay? <laughs> Again, I love the word, but I also know when, like, maybe in a setting like this, I could just say, it sounds pretty much the same. And you could trust me on that. You want to look it up? That's fine. So I'm going to give you, I think we have a picture of a map of the wall. We've looked at one before. Okay, this is always helpful for me just to remember 
what we're talking about. We're not going to camp here forever, but it's just nice to see. So the Sheep Gate right at the north there, where the red is, is where they started, and that's where they say Eliashib and his fellow priests uh, worked on and repaired. And then when they go throughout the chapter, they're kind of naming the different gates in counterclockwise order all around the wall and back up. And so that's kind of, they probably all did it at the same time. They probably all worked on these sections at the same time, but that's how they order it in the chapter. So you know what the chapter is kind of like. The other things that you hear in the chapter are that some worked on those gates, like we heard about the sheep gate, um, leading into the city, and some repaired the wall itself where it needed repairs. Some repaired uh, parts of the wall that were right next to their home. So their home would have been like within eyesight or right next to a part of the wall that needed restoration. And they're like, well, this makes sense. I'll just, I will focus on repairing the wall where I live. That, that makes sense. I'll just, my tools are here. That makes, that's practical, okay? Some others helped with walls that were beside other people's home. So some people are like, the wall by my home is good. I'm going to go help these other people with their section of the wall, right? So they kind of looked around, where is there a need? Going to go to a need, if that makes sense. Um, another thing they mention in the chapter is that some lived inside Jerusalem still, some came from the outside, right? There were people from lots of Jews from lots of towns outside of it and, and nations. Um, and it also has a little section that talks about some who refused help. It just says that they're nobles from a certain place. It doesn't say their name which I read in one commentary, like, Nehemiah probably wanted to say their names, but like, in God's graciousness, was like, no. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. But uh, there is a mention of people who had the opportunity to come, and they happened to be nobles, and my guess is they were like, that's a little bit too much dirty work for me, and they didn't want to do that. So it kind of uh, points out those people as well. But it goes along this, this person did this thing. This, it's not all individuals either. A lot of them are families. This family worked on this. There were men and women involved. Everybody set to the task. Um, and it's kind of a cool chapter just to read through and... Um, you know, look at it a little more closely, because when I knew I would uh, be preaching today, I was like, I think we're on chapter three, and I went to go read it, and I was like, this is not interesting to me at all, okay? <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> like, looked at chapter four, like, maybe we could skip that one. <laughs> that, the chapter four seems more interesting, but the more I read it, I was realizing, oh, there's like a lot of really rich metaphor here, and man, if anybody loves a metaphor, it is me. I will take a metaphor, cradle it, love it, grow it up into adulthood, beat it until it's dead. I just want, I will take it too far. I love a metaphor forever. Man, oof. It's excellent. So this chapter is just full of metaphor. Jerusalem itself was a holy city to the Israelites, right? So it's the city that housed the temple where God's presence rested and sacrifices were made. Uh, but it's also this metaphor for the kingdom of God for the paradise that God's people were waiting for. It was uh, important to build up the walls of Jerusalem for protection, but also as a sign that God's presence and favor was once again on Israel. Okay, It said more about God, really, than um, just being a city in and of itself. So if we can take that, if we can understand that, okay, Jerusalem was kind of this metaphor to the Israelites of the kingdom, it may not be that big of a leap to make to think that the workers are a metaphor for the church, a community of believers all united under one common purpose and goal. Their work all looked different, 
but at the end, but the end game was the same, to rebuild and restore the walls of Jerusalem, to prepare the way for the fulfillment of God's promise to his people, to give God glory, to showcase his character and his power to the world. This was the overarching big story, big goal for everyone who was working. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe that he is the savior of the world and that he saved you from your sin and from death, and given you life, you are part of the church. The church is not a building. It is not an entity. It is not a super cool and edgy name like Fusion. <laughs> if we can't tease ourselves, who can we tease? Right? That's not what the church is. Right? The church is us. It's a people. It's followers of Jesus. We are the church. So when we look at these workers we can easily see ourselves. In this series, like I said, we've talked about like individual purpose and callings that God has placed on our lives, and those are very good, um, and they are very different from one another. And they can look like, I mean, I would call them maybe churchy, churchy things, callings, right? Somebody would say, that seems super holy, right? serving the poor or being a pastor or things like that that just feel like that seems super righteous, you know? Or they can be just life stuff, so things that seem secular that God actually wants us to make sacred, that God wants to make sacred. But we can't lose sight of the fact that all of the individual callings he has for us are grouped under one big goal, to see the kingdom of God in fullness in this world. Each worker and family was united in the commitment to the bigger picture, and I believe God calls us to the same, to be united under this big goal. What we see in Nehemiah in this chapter is a deep understanding and commitment to unity, and that's really where we're going to camp today. So in Ephesians 4, we're going to go back to that, Kind of bring up the things that you had, had stuck out to you before when Lauren was reading. And we're going to go through it by sections and kind of look at it through the lens, uh, or rather look at Nehemiah and the workers through the lens of Ephesians 4. So one thing I want to say is, I know it feels sometimes when we're like jumping back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament, that can feel a little jarring and weird. And the, I mean, culturally, you know, we're talking things that could be very different. But... We have to remember it's so important to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament and the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament. The Old Testament without the New Testament is great stories, but we do not see the overarching story of the Messiah being waited for. If we just read the Old Testament without the New Testament, we forget that everything was leading up to this need in us to be saved. It's this entire story of like, it's not just us that are imperfect. All of humanity just needs Jesus. We need him. We have short memories. <laughs> we forget who we are. We forget who we were made to be. And looking that, through that through the lens of Jesus helps us remember that. But reading the New Testament without the Old Testament also makes us miss out of some of the incredible rich cultural context that the New Testament had. The things that Jesus said don't seem like that big of a deal until you read the Old Testament and realize how radical things he was teaching. You know, we're kind of used to the things sometimes if we've been in the church for a while, like, okay, yeah, Jesus said, you know, this and this, and that makes sense. But they were wild, and he was not 
what people thought the Messiah would look like. So just an aside, this is why we do this. This is why we keep marrying the two together. Um, it's because it's important for us to do. So, um, sorry. I said all of that without looking at it. Do you ever like skip in your, anyway. Okay. So we're going to go through uh, this piece by piece. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read it again. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love Paul. He does not leave anything to chance. It's the all of the all in all in all, and Jesus is the all of your all and my all, and it's all the alls. You know, like, I feel like he writes like this all the time. The never-ending sentence, okay? He did not have an editor, I don't think. It's fine. But you get what he's saying, right? There's one. We are one. There is one God we serve. There is one baptism. There is one decision. There is one spirit that unites us all. It is impor it's important that we treat each other well, you know? to live a life that honors who we are and, and, how to serve, and to know how to serve and love each other. Um, but Paul's really giving us this why, right? He doesn't just stop with, you got to be nice. You got to be nice to each other, you know? To be good. I mean, yeah, we, sh we should definitely, like, work on that. But if we don't have the understanding to motivate us, we're, we're not going to do it well. We have to remember the why is because we are one, one church, one body, one spirit, under one God. This is where unity begins. The understanding that we are all parts of a whole. God shows us all the same love, the same forgiveness, the same devotion, the same truth. For the workers in Nehemiah, this would have been, I think, a little bit easier for them to grasp this oneness. Because this was very culturally um, common, especially for Jews. They would have grown up knowing, like, I'm part of something bigger. I'm part of a people group that has been set apart. This would have been spoken over them time and time again. So the idea that they were part of something bigger would have been like, absolutely, I am. I am part of something bigger. But I think we've lost that. You know, we don't necessarily have that feeling all the time. We don't have that uh, knowledge in the front of our minds of just like, yes, I am part of a bigger story. I am part of a bigger whole. I am part of a body. But without understanding this, uh, this idea of oneness, we miss out on the heart, really, of unity. We don't actually have to make ourselves one with one another, by the way. That's not our job, to make ourselves one. We already are. Yeah. The Spirit does that. We don't got to do that. We just got to know it. Yeah. We have to live like it. We have to let our decisions be made out of the knowledge that we are one. That, that's all we have to do. We have to just act accordingly to what we believe and what is true, to let our belief inform our treatment of one another. And, you know, I guarantee any time that we have fallen short 
of the full perfect unity bar, which um, just letting you know we have because, I mean, come on, we're just working at this, aren't we? <laughs> like we're trying to figure out how to be in community and be one body and do this. But I think the times when that happens, when we really fall short of engaging in unity the way God has called us to, it's because we don't understand our oneness, right? We don't understand that we are actually a part of the one. Hmm. You know, my family, you know, my, was my little family, what's the word for that? My family. That that too, my immediately family, my immediately lure family. Yep, um, you know we have we have all these different things and I, that we're doing and that we're called to do. But like my kids know, at the end of the day, they are they're going to go to school. Stuff's going to happen. They're going to go to lessons. They're going to go do sports. And they know they come home. They're always part of this family. There's never going to be a time that they're that they can't come home right? Lily says she's living with us until she's 30. And I don't think she understands what 30 feels like. But man, I was like, yes, yes and amen. You absolutely can live here. I will somehow, I will build an attachment. I will put you in a trailer outside. I don't, I'll live in the trailer. You live in the house. I don't care. You can live with me absolutely until you're 30. But I want, we want our families to always, you know, know that they are part of the bigger whole, and that's kind of our goal as a faith family, right? So let's go on. Verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's, God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the song of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, granted, it's easy, I think, in this section to get hung up on the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and what am I and what's my role and what does it look like? And those are good questions to ask 100%. Those are good things to think about and think about what kind of is, is my, you know, not my section, but like what's something that God placed in me, gifted me with that I need to be like knowledgeable of. Those are good. We're not going to sit on them today, okay? That's not kind of the point of where we're going right now. The point is that everyone has a different job to do according to how they were created and different jobs of, of the workers who are rebuilding and repairing these walls is important. Everyone that was working on the walls had a different job to do on the walls, and they also had different, like, actual jobs they had that they left or put on hold. These were people with different giftings and callings, but they still understood the goal for the bigger task, the bigger picture. The high priest working on the sheep gate was like a really important task. It was the first thing that was mentioned. And that sheep gate, I won't sit on it forever, but it's full of theological meaning and metaphor. And the reason that the Eliashib and the other priests would have been working on it, I'm pointing to a map that isn't there. Uh, it's fine. I don't need it up there. I'm just in my mind. The reason that they would have been working on this is because it was right next to the temple. They would bring sacrifices in through the sheep gate into the temple. This was like a meaningful gate, okay, for the priests themselves. 
it was very practical that the priests were working on the sheep gate. Makes sense. That doesn't mean the sheep gate is the only important part of the wall, right? How helpful is a gate if the walls around it are crumbling? You don't have a gate. You have not a gate. I was going to come up with something better. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You need sturdy walls to put a gate in. Nobody's putting a gate in a, in a yard, and you're just like, I'm just going to walk around the gate. This doesn't make, how is this even standing up, right? Every part of the wall was incredibly important. It was all part of the big picture. Practically, God has given us different things to do, and that is good. According to our gifting, that's, that is so good. But one is not more important than the other. We are all part of the same body. So I want to sit in this a little bit with you. What is your section of the wall that is part of the larger whole? Let's just get really practical. You know, we'll step away from the metaphor a little bit. I'll give you a break, okay? What is your part of the wall? What is your gate? What is your work in the kingdom that God is calling you to? It doesn't need to be the big, sweeping, grand thing that God said to you when you were seven and you were down on your knees and a bright light came. You were like, this is the calling of God on my life. It's not necessarily that. First, you guys got to ask yourself, what am I doing right now? What am, what am I doing? Where am I spending my time? Where has God placed me physically? And how does that fit into the bigger story? So, like, one of the things that I do with my time is I teach piano. Can I get a holla from some students? I got some over here. I know, most of them went downstairs. That was very, act like you like it. Can you act like it? Thank you. So I teach piano to many of these young individuals over here and many that are running around wild downstairs. And when I first started teaching when we lived in New York, uh, my motivation for really getting into this line of work, you can call it, was money. I wanted to make extra of it. So my motivations were just so pure. I was like, um, I want to, I can do this, and I would like more money. Um, so, you know, put that together, and I feel like that was a great idea. And so, you know, I started doing it. It was just like a thing I did. I mean, when you have a bachelor's in music, there's like not a lot of things, guys, <laughs> that you can do. And so you kind of got to just lean in to like the one thing, you know what I'm saying? Over the years, though, as I'm teaching, I'm realizing, do I really care about this? I think I really care. I think I really care if kids know how to read music and if music is a part of their life and if they can feel that incredible feeling of like something being hard and then it not being hard. Can we all get that sometimes? <laughs> Right? When you like worked at something and then you finally get it and you feel really good. Just the ability to like make music. I feel like so much of our culture is missing it. And I love it now. I never would have thought when I started that this would be something that I would feel so passionate about. I thought I would be passionate about money. 
but that's not what drives me anymore. I just love, I love to teach our kids about music. It's so fun to me, even when it doesn't feel fun to you. <laughs> I do love it. You thought I was going to not talk to you guys anymore. I didn't think that. What has happened is I've looked at where I'm at, and something that didn't even start out as a God thing, or what seemed like a God thing, became a God thing. Because God got a hold of my heart, doing it. What is something that you're doing that doesn't feel like a God thing, but maybe God wants to make into a God thing? God wants to work through you and do something important. He wants to make something sacred that you're a part of. Doing laundry does not feel important, but I know that doing that supports my family in living their lives and doing their work and being parts of repairing their walls. Paying bills. I guess we got to have a house. I'll do it. I'll spend Rob's money <laughs> to, do the, to do the bills. Rob doing house stuff. Sorry, Rob's my husband. We all know this. It's a, it's a random man who lives with me. Um, him doing random tasks around the house that maybe we usually share this weekend so that I can just like get this ready for you. This is what it looks like to like work on our own part of the wall but also support one another in our own work. What's something that you're doing? Just look at what you're doing. Think about your job. You go to work. Maybe you picked this job because it was like the thing that you knew how to do and you can make money. We need money. It's okay. And so you do that job. That's great. What does God want to do through you at that job? How does God want to make that work sacred? For you and the people around you, it is important for us to understand not only our connection to each other in the body, but our individual jobs, our individual work we are doing that feeds into the edification, the growing up of this body. Do you guys realize some of the growth that we experience spiritually as a body of Christ happens just because we are out doing the things that God has asked us to do, or we are out doing the things in God's name. We don't, we don't see it. So many of the things you guys do, no one sees. Anybody else ever feel it? Nobody sees it, or it doesn't feel important. It is. It is, and I need you. I need you to keep working on your part of the wall because I won't see the fullness of Jesus without it. I don't get to see it without it. We need to do that for each other because we are part of a whole. The unseen feels hard, man, doesn't it? I feel like we've got a few of us in here just feel unseen. I've been there. That's hard. But it matters. It really does. Just take a mental note. Maybe, maybe take a minute, write something down on your phone, get a piece of paper around you. I want you to just take a minute. This is my this is the universal symbol of writing things on your phone for me. I don't know. Write it down. 
start a note on your phone, text. If you need to remember something, I always text someone I know. It's like not information for them, but it's for me to be able to come back to later. Start making a list of just like, this is, this is what I do. This is what I, where I spend my time. My work. This is where I go to the gym. This is where I grocery shop. This is my neighborhood. I have these neighbors. I have these friends. Just kind of take inventory of your life and look at it. This is, this is your wall. This is your part of the wall. This is your gate. This is important. Even if it feels like just school, that's your wall. Piano lessons are your wall. Keep working. Don't stop practicing. Okay, that's work too. You know what? Unpopular opinion amongst adults, but school is a full-time job, okay? They might get to, you know, chat with their friends at the water cooler, but that's like a whole day thing. You guys are doing a great job. How can you dedicate that time to Jesus? How can you find him in the work that you're doing? Now, let me be very clear. This is not a call to hustle. This is not a call to work harder, to strive more, to add a bunch of things. This is a call to intentional kingdom living that brings balance and life and growth to ourselves and each other and ultimately points to Jesus and who he is. Okay? Do not go around adding a bunch of stuff that you think seems important. If God is doing something in you right now and he is saying, I want you to be, I want you to to be brave right now and do this thing that I've been kind of stirring up in you, this thing for me, do this repair work, this restore work on this part of the wall I want you to step up to, then absolutely obey. Absolutely say yes. But sometimes God's saying, you need to not do that thing anymore. And sometimes that thing's not a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes it's, you need to start leaving work at 530 so that your work and rest balance is better. You spend more time with your family. I just got like a yes from Jeff in the background. He went back downstairs. That was so encouraging. <laughs> like what are some things that God is like, you gotta, take, you gotta take it away. You don't need to do that anymore. Or just, I know this feels kind of, um, it's hard to pin down, right? I can't say, go do this, one, two, three, X, Y, Z, and then everything will be good because all of our lives are so different. That's a good thing, guys. So we just kind of got to do the work here. We got to look at our own lives and go, what can I give over to the Lord? What can I say? I do this, but do I do it in the name of Jesus? Even if we're not saying Jesus' name all the time, again, I'm sorry, guys, this is just a great metaphor. A kid comes in for a piano lesson, and I'm not like, do you know, do you know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? <laughs> yeah? No? That's not what I'm doing. But we have conversations, like before a recital. Why do we do this? Give glory to God. Pray our jitters out. Right? God created you to make beautiful music. Or even just, wow, listen to how beautiful that was that encouragement, that reminder that they can be creators of something because they were made by a creator. That's the kingdom work. But I need the reminder to make everything kingdom work. 
to allow everything to be kingdom work. So real quick, what can get in the way of this? Of us doing our work on our part of the wall. I think one of the things is comparison. We compare a lot to the people around us, especially when we're in one body together. We're working on our section of the wall and we're looking sideways. Oh, they get to work on a gate. Or they get to do this. Or they're just working on their own wall and I wouldn't help this other person with their wall, but I'm not like checking up on my wall. Should I be over there? Should I be doing it like them? Should I be using those tools that they're using? I mean, we do this all the, guys, I mean like same. I'm just giving away my number here. Like constantly like, should I be acting like that? Should I be doing that? Should I be saying that thing? That seems super holy though what they're doing, and that looks really good, and it's very seen. People are seeing it. Maybe if I do that thing, then people will see that I am also holy, and I love Jesus. Like, I gotta, sometimes I gotta make sure, like, you know, you know I'm, I love Jesus, right? Because I just gotta make sure I'm doing the right things. Do you ever feel that internal, like, struggle? Guys, I'm telling you, throwing it away is the best feeling. <laughs> throwing away the need to compare is the most freeing thing, because if you are too worried about what, how somebody else is working on their wall, you will not be able to do the work that you were called to do. Even if we're looking at somebody else going, nah, they're not doing a good job. We never do that in the church. What? <laughs> Crazy. That has never happened. I think we can all agree that sometimes we have the tendency as Jesus lovers, to also be like, mm, that person is probably not doing, they could probably do better. They could spend more time. They could do a little more. You know what? Not my circus, not my monkeys. Okay? Now, I can encourage. We can love on. We can be a part of each other's lives. We can speak truth to one another. That's what we're called to do, absolutely. Absolutely. But while I'm not going to look at somebody and feel bad about what I'm doing because of what they're doing, I am also not going to look at somebody and feel better about what I'm doing because of what they're doing. That's a dangerous road to walk on, guys. We cannot do that if we are committed to unity. Sometimes we get wrapped up in just our personal ambition. I just want to like get, move up in my job. I just want to get really good at this thing. I just want to be recognized for this thing. I just need to have a life that looks curated and good and perfect. I just need to have enough money for this. I just need to get to this place. Guys, I've, I've tried all those things too. God does not work on my timetable. I don't know about yours. But it never works out the way I think it's going to. My plans do, do not ever do, go the direction that I think they should. Man, why waste our time? Worrying about where we should be or all of these. Goals are not bad to have, right, guys? But when they take over everything in us, all of our attention, all of our energy, can we just be? Can we just work? Can we just be one? Can we just step forward? I think the Spirit's saying what, he, what, what you need to hear about that. I'm not going to keep going. I'm gonna, we're going to move on. Okay, verse 14. Then, 
then Paul says. I love it when Paul says then. Lots of people say then, but he does this a lot too. It'll be like all of these things and then. Strive for all of these things and then. Put your heart to this and then. He's like, we're not doing it for nothing. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. If you are committed to unity, if you understand you are part of the bigger picture, if you value your own work on the wall and other people in your body's work on the wall, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We cannot do this alone. I've said it. But guys, I will say it again. We cannot do this alone. Nehemiah could have marched back to Jerusalem, had one tool to his name, and repaired the entire wall and every gate by himself, if that was what God willed. If that's what God wanted him to do, he could have done it. But that's not what God wanted. What Nehemiah did was call a people together call a nation together to go after one goal as one body together. That is what God wills. I have been a part of the church for a long time. I'm like so old. I know when I say that people just cuddle such a long time. But there have been many times when I'm like, dude, get me out of here. I'm done. Let me go live in the desert by myself, be alone with my faith. I don't need y'all. Like, to whatever body I'm in at the time. You know what I mean? Like, forget it. But guys, I'm not going to see the fullness of Jesus. It keeps me coming back. I do not get to see the fullness of redemption and forgiveness and unity. And that is my dream. Sorry. It is my dream to see the church, to see us be what we could be, what God has called us to be. Unified as one body. Sorry. I'm more, I'm more emotional apparently today than usual. I believe that is God's dream. For us to realize this together. And we have to decide if we're going to continue to be committed to that and to not just phone it in. We're not going to think that everything's fine. We're not going to be like, man, we are awesome at this. We win. Move on. But we're also not going to give up. I just won't give up on this. Because I want to see how the world will see Jesus through us all united. That is the only way that people will see the fullness of who Jesus is and his love is if we show them as the body. If you look at me 
you do not see arms and legs and some sneakers and some fingers, you look at me and you're like, that's Katie, right? Lots of people, I don't know, maybe have short little legs like this. Lots of people have stumpy little fingers like this. But you know it's me by my face. People will not see us as individuals. They will just see Jesus. We don't need them to see us as individuals. We just want people to see Jesus. That is the big goal. That is the goal. It is not to look good. It is not to do all the things that bring attention upon ourselves, even though attention is super great. It is not because we, we want to, to be the famous ones or the ones that everybody's looking at on Instagram or have the great little sermon blurbs that are everywhere or wear the pastor sneakers. There's like a thing Catherine showed me where pastors have sneakers. Anyway... We don't want to be the cool church. We don't want to be the ones like, oh, man, they're super different. They're super hip. The pastor wears sweats. How cool. That is not the point. We want people to see Jesus. And I'm not, I am not, like, dissing on any other place. I'm just saying I think, like, these are things we just got to make sure we know what we are about. Because I don't know any other body like I know this body. And I know that we want to be about Jesus. We want people to see Jesus when they're around us. That's the only goal, the only goal. And so it's, it's twofold today. This understanding of unity and how to be part of one body, but understanding that part of the importance of that and the way we do that is holding our own part of the wall. Right, guys? We got to do both. We got to hold both intention. We have our own personal responsibility to the Lord, but we also are never alone in it. We are never alone in it. And because of that, the world will see Jesus. I get excited about that. I get excited about that possibility. The band was supposed to come up. You know what? It's fine. <laughs> we're okay. I think we're okay, guys. I just want to encourage you. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go. And we're just going to have a good time. I want you to spend some time talking with some people before you go. I want you to, to really experience community with somebody before you leave today. To hug somebody, tell them you're glad they're here. Remind somebody that it matters that they came to this place today, what they do matter. And go back to that list you made this week. How do I consecrate everything I have done and am doing to the Lord? How do I do everything in the name of Jesus? What does that look like for me? Let's start dreaming about what that looks like because I think we've got a good handle on how our church could look. I think we've got a good handle on that dream. And I want to walk in that with you. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your uh, love and your guidance today. Thank you for the way that you have um, continue to nourish us and give us the strength and the courage to do the things that you've called us to do. But I pray that you would show us what it feels like when you lighten the load. Show us what it feels like to hold the gold together. God, continue to instill this dream of unity in our hearts. Help us to walk in the personal responsibility you have placed on us but to celebrate the oneness we have with one another and to not give up the dream 
that you have for us for looking like Jesus. God, sanctify all we do this week. Surprise us this week. Show up in crazy ways as we continue to walk in this truth. Thank you so much. Amen. Go and say hi to somebody again. Have a good day.